Well, good morning. And uh, before I forget, John has asked me to remind you that those Christmas gift bags, if you want to take 10 of them, they're in the minor hall now. So if you want to collect those after the service, that's where you can do that. So welcome to our last session in our series on these first 11 chapters of John. Um, We have already covered on previous occasions chapters 12 to 17, and we will later next year be picking up from chapter 18 to the end of the book. So that's why we've taken uh, the first 11 chapters as the subject during this term. So we're going to read quite a few verses from John chapter 11. If you're following in the Pew Bible, it's page 897, but I'll put the text up on the screen. So John chapter 11, uh, first of all, beginning at verse 1. This is a, in some ways a sad story at the start with a happy ending, but it raises many fundamental questions which we'll think about later. So verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to the Lord, to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Down to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. 
This story features uh, a lady called Martha who had been bereaved, along with her sister, by the death of her brother, Lazarus. They seemed to be a a close family, three adults uh, who perhaps were all single, but they all loved the Lord, and the Lord loved them. I don't know if you've noticed, as we've been going through John's Gospel, the number of times that the Lord Jesus uh, discusses deep, important issues with women. In many ways, it was the women that the Lord met who were more open to what the Lord said, who were quicker to understand, more intelligent than even the Lord's disciples. So I thought it might be helpful just to review the the women in John's Gospel. We did look at this briefly on a previous occasion, but just to show you how the, uh, the author, John, has structured his book in different ways and has given us some patterns to get across a certain message. So let me just remind you of six different women that, and the six different incidents featuring women in John's Gospel. Very early on, we heard, met the story of what's sometimes called turning water into wine. But here, the Lord's mother, Mary, his earthly mother, uh, at, at the start is center stage, but then she hands over to her son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, this is the story of a wedding which starts happy, but then something goes wrong as the wine runs out. And the Lord Jesus comes into that situation, reminds them what they had left out, which was the purification ceremony. And he uses jars that were meant to purify people and which had been forgotten in this wedding. And that's where he brought the wine from the water. So that's a, the first story that we're introduced with the women in John's Gospel. It starts with a wedding where the, it's almost as though the joy runs out of a wedding. It wasn't the first wedding, the first marriage where that's happened. And it certainly wasn't the last. The next story which features a woman is sometimes called the woman at the well where the Lord Jesus met this woman. Now she was an interesting woman if I could use that word, in that she had been married five times and presumably divorced five times. And then she had given up on marriage itself, the legal ceremony, and was now just living with a sixth man. She seemed to think that she would find happiness in her life through relationship with a man. But she discovered, and the Lord pointed out to her, that she was chasing a fantasy in her life And no relationship could fill the gap that she was experiencing in her life. But through the conversation of the Lord, through giving her eternal life and introducing her to eternal life, that deep need that she felt was satisfied. So here was a woman, and again, the subject of marriage is, is being brought up, but this time it's much further. It's not just joy running out. But she was she discovering that relationships, marriage relationships, just could not meet her fundamental need. Then, in chapter 8, we came across another woman who had gone even further down this road. This was a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And it may well not have been her first time in committing adultery. What we find with people like this is that they seem to have lost the capacity for having relationships. That's the trouble. Once you start to have sex outside marriage, uh, 
that uh, it's not for love often. It, uh, it ceases to be that. And it actually destroys the, the capacity, to, capacity to have relationships with the opposite sex. So what we see here is a progression. It starts with the, the wedding, problems even just at the wedding. Then uh, problems where marriage does, doesn't satisfy. And then finally where even love becomes, the capacity to love becomes destroyed. And what we find in that first half then of John's Gospel is that the Lord Jesus comes in and saves those relationships which have been destroyed by sin. He saves people. He gives them the capacity to love properly and to find a much deeper relationship, which is to be right with God through having eternal life. So that's like the first half. And the first three journeys seem to cover uh, that first half. But we have just read the start of what's probably, or what is probably the start of the fourth journey. And here we meet another lady, Martha, who lived at Bethany. And the problem that Martha was going through was the death of her brother. And what she discovers and what anyone who is bereaved discovers is that death ends relationships. The Lord comes and raises Lazarus, brings him back to life. But I, I, I just pointed out uh, on the screen here that that was a short-term answer because Lazarus was going to die again. But it was going to give us a foretaste of something very important. The next lady we meet about, we read about in detail, is the sister of Martha in the next chapter, Mary of Bethany. It's some time afterwards, but here we see Mary discovers and gets insight into the Lord's answer to the problem of death. Now, what she sees is, yes, the Lord is going to die, but she sees that he's going to come back to life again. And so she prepares him for his burial. She doesn't wait until he dies because she had an inkling that she wouldn't have the opportunity because he would rise again from the dead. But Mary sees that the Solution to death, the the next key step is Christ's death and resurrection. And then finally, we will come later to the story of Mary Magdalene at the resurrection of Jesus. Mary Magdalene was a lady who had originally been possessed by seven demons and the Lord had cleansed her heart, cleansed her from the power of the demons, given her a new life. And as long as Mary was with the Lord, she felt utterly secure. But when the Lord died, she was afraid her life was going to come, fall to pieces again. She was afraid that those old powers she had been delivered from would once again take hold of her life. And she was distraught. And she came to the tomb of the Lord Jesus. And there the Lord Jesus revealed himself to her. The first person that the Lord Jesus revealed himself to after his resurrection was Mary. And she thought at first, my problem is solved. The Lord is going to be with me now. But the Lord reveals to her that the relationship that she had with him was going to be raised to a much higher level. He said, I am going to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. In other words, Jesus was bringing her into the relationship with God the Father, the same relationship that the Lord Jesus himself had 
with his father. And so we get in this second section not only the problem of death, but the solution to the problem of death. It starts with bereavement and the pain of death is not taken away. But the solution to death is not to remove death from the agenda, but to go through death and to experience resurrection and life, eternal life. And that answers and reflects the problem with human relationships. Because the ultimate threat to human relationships is death. Even the happiest of relationships, the pain of that brings death, or the pain of death uh, sometimes brings even disillusionment. Sometimes people are afraid to get too close to other people because they know ultimately that relationship is going to be severed through death. So let's look uh, briefly at the, uh, some of the issues raised in chapter 11 that we read. Questions raised by the death of Lazarus. Even Martha herself says to the Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The unspoken question is, why did you not intervene? Why did you not stop my brother from dying? Why does the Lord allow people to get sick? And why does he allow people to die? If he is all-powerful and all-loving, why does he seem to step back and wait as people get sick and die when he could intervene? That's a big question. The second issue that is raised in this chapter is the bereavement which Martha and her sister Mary felt, the loss of those who are left, the loss of love when you you love someone but they're no longer there and you can't express your love to them. When you're so used to their companionship, it's as though part of you has been amputated. Martha was experiencing that. She had to cope with that. Some people cope with that better than others. Martha probably coped better than her sister Mary. But nevertheless, it was a genuine loss that Martha felt. A third aspect of death and the inevitability of it is that death can make some things in life seem pointless. Throughout the Bible, this little verse here is is quoted. It says that all flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. It's picturing, picturing your life as a flower or as a plant that produces flower. And if you think of the great successes in your life, the highlights of your life, perhaps uh, you get your PhD, some of you are working towards that. Some of you, you get married to someone and that's a high point. Some of you, you get promotion, you achieve great success. And those are like the flowers. But the Bible says those will fade. And when you get old, when you retire, you discover that within about half an hour, you've been forgotten. Life moves on. People move in, step in to take your place. And it's as though you never lived. You get used to things. People, When you get older, people forget what you did when you were younger. And you begin to ask yourself, what is the point of striving for success in life? Is it worth anything? Is my life worth anything at all? 
because I'm just going to get old if I, unless I die young. I'm just going to get old, perhaps senile, become bedridden. I won't be able to meet with my friends. People will forget about me. It's almost as though I hadn't lived. So what is the point of living? That's a big question which is raised by death. That death can make some things in life seem pointless. And in the light of that, we might ask, what, is, what are the important things that we should be investing our life in? And the final question which people all over the world ask is, what happens to us after we die? I'm sure here in, in uh, the group that we have here this morning, we would have lots of different possible answers to that. So let me just go through some of the common views to, on what happens to us after we die. We're talking about across the world, but maybe even just across uh, all of us here this morning. There, I dare say there's some here this morning who believe there is no God, that we just are here as a result of evolution. We're just a collection of chemicals, molecules, and when we die, though the, what we have as our body just gradually disintegrates, and that is the end of us. There is no longer any us. Once our heart stops beating and our brain stops functioning, that is the complete end. Now, that's what I dare say some of you certainly have been brought up to believe and have been told. Some might find, just accept that as inevitable. Some might find it depressing. But if you believe there is no God, then that's what's probably going to happen. Uh, at least you think that's what's going to happen. It's a logical conclusion. So that's one view of life. And you can, if you don't believe that there is a God who has given us a purpose, then death, the implications of that really raise the big question is what is the point and purpose of my life? Would it have made any difference if I wasn't here? A second view, which I think some of you might have been brought up, particularly if you were brought up in a Buddhist environment, is the concept of reincarnation. I was asking uh, one of my colleagues in work who is uh, brought up in China what he believed or what the Chinese traditionally believe happens after you die. And he said, well, we think that there's a bridge that you cross over. You're given something to drink which causes your memory to be totally white. And then you may come back later as somebody totally different somewhere else in the world, what we call reincarnation. If you come back, as, or if you have come back as somebody else, you have no idea who you were before. You're completely, in that sense, your identity is totally lost at death. I remember hearing someone being interviewed uh, on the radio, and she said, I have inklings of a, a previous existence. I believe I was a princess in the ancient kingdom of Persia. And the interviews said to her, you must have been a very bad princess, because look at who you are now. You're a nobody now. But if you believe that, there's absolutely no way of learning any lessons from a previous existence. You don't know whether you were a bad person who has come down in the world or a good person who's gone up in the world. And there's absolutely no certainty, no evidence, 
no authoritative uh, statement and revelation that that's the case. The next idea which Christians, uh, early Christians would have had to deal with uh, from their culture at the time, the ancient Greek concept of the afterlife, was that all that the Greeks believed is that your soul goes to the underworld and lives a meaningless, pointless existence. This life is the only really meaningful life they believed. After that, yes, you do exist, but it's not something that anybody would look forward to. Then we come to the Jewish view, the Old Testament view of what happens when we die. There are some details in the Old Testament, not a lot, but the teaching is that the soul goes to what in the Hebrew is called Sheol, what the Greek uh, in the New Testament it uses the Greek concept of Hades. And it, but what is unique in the Old Testament that at the end of time everyone will be raised. There will be a final resurrection, either to life or to punishment. Now the Lord Jesus gives us more details of the Old Testament uh, reality of. Sheol or Hades, or as some versions put it, the grave. That even within that, there were two regions. There was one region which was a time, a place of healing and a place of happiness and restoration after the troubles of life. Then there was a huge barrier between that, a huge gulf between that and the other region where people who had lived for themselves, lived for their pleasures, uh, were experiencing uh, the torment of having desires, but being unable to fulfill them. All that, of course, changed after the resurrection of Jesus. So let's look, finally, at what uh, the coming of Jesus has done to transform death. And let's look at what Jesus said about death and resurrection and what he said to Mary as well, sorry, to Martha about this. It's interesting that whenever in the Lord's life on earth, Whenever he encountered someone dead, he raised him to life. There was a a widow whose son was dead, was being carried out uh, and passed the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus stopped the funeral cortege and raised the widow's son to life. There was a young girl of 12 who had died, the daughter of a Jewish uh, ruler of the synagogue, who begged Jesus to come And then he was told that his daughter was dead. There was no need for Jesus to come. But the Lord Jesus continued and raised her to life again. The Lord Jesus had to be careful not to go near any cemeteries because he might have raised everybody from the dead. He was careful who he encountered. But there's just something about the Lord Jesus, so full of life, the power to give life, that when he encountered a dead person, that person came back to life. When he came to Lazarus, to the tomb of Lazarus, this raising, although it had limitations, but in some ways the story of the raising of Lazarus was in some ways a prototype of a new resurrection that the Lord Jesus was revealing. Martha said, well, I know my brother will rise at the last day, at the very end. But the Lord Jesus is going to reveal to her and to us that there's a resurrection that comes before the last day. And there's a passage in uh, Thessalonians that says, here's what's going to happen, almost uh, mimicking what the Lord Jesus did at the tomb of Lazarus. The Lord himself will come down from heaven 
with a loud command. You remember the loud command that the Lord Jesus spoke outside the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. There's a time in the future when the Lord Jesus is going to come to this earth. And first of all, he's going to give a loud command to those of his people, those who have believed in Christ, and say, come out. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, Paul says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, notice these words, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In other words, in the Lord's timetable, in the resurrection, the dead will be raised, the dead in Christ will be raised, there will be a reunion with those who who are still alive. In other words, the Lord understands the desire of those who are still here, who have been bereaved, the desire to meet again. We sometimes ask, will I ever meet my loved ones who have gone on? seems to be part of the Lord's explicit plan that those who have been together in the Lord and who have died will be reunited. It says we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we see in this schedule in the program that the Lord is going to do to all his people what he did to Lazarus. And that's, I think, what he means when he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not something that sort of has been mechanically built into the universe at the very end. It is through the Lord Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The Lord Jesus is just so full, brimming full of life. In fact, John, in one of his letters, says that Jesus, the Son of God, is the embodiment of the eternal life of God. This is how John, later in his life, describes the coming of Jesus into this world. He said, the life which was with the Father has appeared to us. Sometimes we think, or you may have seen the, been given the picture of the Lord Jesus as someone quiet, thoughtful, meditative, who never got very excited about things. But the Lord Jesus is brimful of life. Everything he did, he brought life to it. He brought life, as we've been thinking, to dead people. But even looking at the world that he made, not so much at winter, but just wait till March and April, till spring comes, and you'll see just how this earth is bursting with life. That's what the Lord Jesus has done. Everything he touches, he brings life to it. And Jesus came to bring us not just physical life, but he he made us so that it is possible for us to have his own life, that life of God himself, which he calls eternal life. He came to give eternal life, a life that will outlast physical death and will indeed overcome death. He says, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. What he means is, we will have an eternal life here and now, so that that is really the life that we live. When you come to know the Lord Jesus, you receive eternal life, and that's our real life, our real identity, and death 
is only a little blip along that road. And by his death and resurrection, uh, Jesus broke the power of death. The New Testament says that uh, the Lord Jesus has destroyed death. So what are the implications of this then? Because this is who the Lord Jesus is, one or two just practical points. When a believer dies, that person is immediately with Christ. I won't say their soul goes to be with Christ. They, as a person, goes immediately to be with Christ. We do not lose our identity. We do not become like a ghost. Our identity and our purified character will be enhanced. We will be more ourselves than we are here, if I could put it like that. There will be parts of us that uh, do not survive death. But those uh, parts of our character which have been purified will be enhanced. We'll be able to think and communicate and remember. People, after they die, the insights that we have from Scripture, people will be able to remember. We will know each other. We'll be able to communicate. We'll be able to reason and uh, think about God. There will be work for us to do when we die. The Lord Jesus told, he, he told a literal story of some people who had died before his resurrection, but one of them was Abraham. And the Lord explained how Abraham was, even at the time of the Lord, was extremely busy. He was looking after people, Jewish people, who had trusted in God but had a very hard life, a painful life. There was one man in particular, a man also called Lazarus, who had had a miserable life. But when he went, when he died, it was Abraham's job to restore him, to take him, to make up almost for the pain that he had had. I've mentioned before that my brother and his wife who lived in America had always, always liked to have two dogs. There was one dog that they got most recently who had been very badly treated by a previous owner, a male owner. And when a brother and his wife saw this dog in the shelter, uh, they chose that dog. Whenever my bro- they brought it home, when my brother came into the home, the dog ran out. It was afraid, ran out whimpering. The, th- the sight of any man caused it to fear. My brother would have loved to explain to the dog, look, you don't need to be afraid anymore. Now I'm going to care for you. I'm going to look after you. It took several years, wasn't it? Several years of very careful, uh, patient and caring love before the dog finally learned uh, that it could trust my brother, that it came. All that damage and warping that had been done in its very nature, it was undone by loving, tender care. Lazarus, the poor beggar Lazarus, was probably afraid of anybody who was rich, anybody who was confident because of the way he'd been treated in his life. And so when he went to be, when he had died, and went to what we might call heaven, there were special arrangements put in place to undo all the damage that had been done in his life. He was shown intense love and care. And the warping that maybe this world had forced upon his life was undone. And the good things that he hadn't received, 
he was able to experience. That was part of Abram's job. He learned that as a man on earth. He made mistakes as a father, yes, but he learned how to be a good father to other people. And that training that he received in this life was put into practice after Abram died and went to be with God. And finally, then, the implication is that to prepare ourselves for really fulfilling, for a, a really fulfilling start in heaven, to prepare ourselves for our destiny, then we should seek now to live, to develop things that will be valuable in the world to come, to seek to live by faith and to live like Christ himself lived. I just end by making one overall point which the Lord Jesus himself makes in chapter 12, in the next chapter. When he was facing his own death, he said this out loud, but just sharing his thoughts with those around him. He said, whenever a seed falls into the ground, it dies. But when it dies, it then produces much fruit. That was the process that you would have seen in the perfect world of the Garden of Eden. The trees were created with seeds in them. It was built into creation that real glory comes not through escaping death, but by going through death and experiencing resurrection. And the Lord Jesus was saying to humanity, I am blazing a trail through death to glory, through resurrection. If you want to follow me, you need to trust me. You need to put your life in my hands. I will bring you through death and I will bring you as sons to glory. That is a fundamental principle. Human beings, part of our fundamental constitution is that we die. But if we, our life is in the hands of Christ Jesus, the resurrection and the life, he will bring us along the same road that he has traveled. He will bring us through death to God and to glory. That is why it is such good news for believers to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's just close in a moment's prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus does not ask us to walk a path that he himself has not walked. He himself faced death with courage. He put his life into his Father's hands, knowing that his Father would raise him from the dead and raise him to glory. And Father, we thank you that those of us who are Christians this morning have that same assurance. We do not need to worry or to question what the afterlife is like. We do not need to have the fear of utter oblivion and pointlessness or of floating round as impersonal spirits. We thank you that we will walk the road that the Lord Jesus has walked. He came back from the dead to prove that he has destroyed death. So, Father, those of us who are believers, give us that assurance and security that comes from knowing that, from having that revealed to us by the Lord Jesus. And for those who do not yet have that assurance, we pray that they would trust the Lord Jesus with their lives here and now, receive eternal life, and face, be able to face the prospect of death with that great assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.